0: First off, I'd like to thank all you beautiful people for taking, it, taking the time out of your day to come here and listen to this discussion. So give yourself a hand. Woo! So let's start with some introductions. Uh, my name is Jamal Lemmy. I'm here, on, the- I'm here um, on behalf of March For Our Lives, working as the creative director. And I'm one of your co-moderators moderators today.
1: Um, I'm Izzy Satan. I'm from March for Our Lives, Milwaukee. Uh, Thank you guys all so much for being here. I know I know a lot of you guys from March twenty-fourth. So again, thank you so much.
0: So now let's um, introduce our
2: panelists. Hi, I'm Marley Harris. I live here in Milwaukee. Um, I, uh, I just came onto the March for Our Lives earlier today. I ran into uh, at a block party. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, they were there. It was really fun. It was really cool. It was a lot of cool information and you know gun safety stuff like that. Um, uh, Seventeen, <laughs> um, and yeah, I've been hanging out with them for the day. And yeah.
3: My name is Ryan Deitch, I am a recent graduate of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School from Parkland, Florida. And I am a creative, uh, content creator at March for Our Lives. Hi I'm Kyra, I'm 17, and I'm a rising- <laughs> <laughs> And I'm a rising senior at Marjorie Stoneman
4: Douglas. <laughs>
5: Brett, no. and I'm also very excited to be here. I spoke at March for Our Lives Milwaukee in March and that was one of the greatest opportunities and I'm awesome. I'm happy that it's awesome to be here so I'm make any sense. Hi everyone. My name is Tatiana Washington. I am
6: a rising junior at Rufus King High School. Woo! also a organizer for 50 Miles More, which in March, after March for the Lives events ended, March 50 miles on
7: Madison Hey everyone, my name is Karee Pennybaker, and I was in high school once. <laughs> um, but I'm a gun violence survivor. My mom shot and killed herself when I was very young, and this coming Monday would have been her 66th birthday. Oh. You can clap. <laughs>
8: Hi, my name is Linnea Stanton and I'm a sophomore at Marquette and I am one of the
0: organizers for March for Our, our Lives in Milwaukee all right before we get started I'd like to uh, I'd like to shout out our friends that we had um, the opportunity of speaking with today West Care Wisconsin Youth Action <laughs> Council they're they a local organization that does great work for the community so a shout out. So I don't know if any of you have have been to a March for Our Lives um, town hall before, but basically just to give you an overview of how it goes, we'll ask Parkland a couple questions, we'll ask Chicago a couple questions, and we'll ask the local organizations a couple questions, and um, give them about two to three minutes to answer each question, and then we'll all ask collective questions, and then after that we'll go into our audience questions, and that's your town hall. So (laughs) let's get started. So for Parkland, what are your goals for the summer on the Road to Change Tour?
9: Our goal for the summer is to get a lot of the youth and a lot of people who don't feel represented a voice and let them know that their voice matters. A thing that I was researching and I saw is that millennials aren't showing up to the polls. Millennials make up a majority of the American population, like there's maybe 46 million eligible voters that are Millennials, and only 20% of them showed up to the polls in 2014. And it's really sad to see a large amount of people, a large amount of people present on social media complaining about their leaders that aren't showing up to the polls to make that change. People are sitting on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, any social media, and they're saying, well, we have racist leaders, we have ignorant leaders, and they're not going out to make that change and engaging and educating one another on how they can change and find better leaders to represent them, morally just <laughs> leaders to represent the country.
1: Okay, so also for Parkland, um, what are some misconceptions about this movement that you guys would like to clarify?
3: Uh, So just just some misconceptions that we've faced uh, on our journey ever since the uh, shooting at our high school has been, uh, as we speak out, a lot of people say that we are anti-gun, that we are anti-Second Amendment, which that's just simply not true. Uh, we, We do support gun rights and we do support the Second Amendment in our Constitution but we do also have to realize when safety comes into play. We have to realize that this is an epidemic that we are facing in our country, that in, in most of the civilized world, uh, I believe a, a statistic came out that about 80% of gun violence instances happen in America. That, that, that's, that That's not just a fluke. There are reasons that these issues occur. There are reasons that these issues happen. And we, we just have to work on that and we, we have to get past the fact that people think that we just want to take away their guns, which simply we don't. All we want to do is make sure that people can use their weapons safely and securely and that they are accountable for their actions. Because for the most part right now, uh, gun owners are not really held accountable when their weapons are misplaced or put into the wrong hands. And for, for one, like that, that causes a lot of harm, and we just need to work on that as, as a country and actually come together to find common ground solutions to these issues that don't infringe upon anybody's rights, but also allow for children and just men and women of this country to live out their lives.
9: I think a lot of people see the movement as a set of kids from Parkland, privileged, upper-class community, and really, I think that, especially with the road to change, inclusivity has become such a big part of the movement. We're going around to different cities around the country, bridging the gap, making people who feel that their voice isn't represented, that because they're not from Parkland, that their voice doesn't matter, that because they're from Chicago or Baltimore or St. Louis, because of their situation, that they don't have the microphone to really share their stories. And I feel like we're bridging that gap connecting being inclusive and showing that as a country we have to be united to make a change
0: my next question for parkland how do you respond to the argument that the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun
3: That 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 is a quote from uh, Wayne Wayne LaPierre of the National Rifle Association. Uh, he is paid to say these things. Uh, he very well could believe it, but when somebody gets five million dollars from an organization to speak about it, that that's not really uh, unbiased opinion. Uh, but what. What I've looked into, and, I, and I've read up on this more and more recently, was uh, there, there was a study that came out of, I believe it was Stanford University, a John Donahue actually broke down instances in states when they added uh, more gun rights to a certain state. Uh, violent crimes actually went up about 13 to 15 percent in those areas. So, and, and there's, there's also the case that when you say you need that good guy with a gun, if you look at an instance like Las Vegas, in Las Vegas, if you had good guys with guns, which you very well did in that area, there were people on the ground who were packing, and they did not want to fire in case they, they didn't want to hurt anybody else in the area, they didn't want to be accused by law enforcement, they didn't want to be accidentally shot by law enforcement. It, it just creates more a, a more chaotic situation. So when when you say good guy with a gun, when you add things like arming teachers, or just arming more individuals in a community, it adds just more guns into the equation, which is really part of the problem that we have to look into, that we have to realize that you can't add more of these deadly weapons into a scenario and expect it to be more peaceful. And, I I mean, I break this down, like, I, I make it sound like simple logic, but there are people that stand up against this. And uh, another instance is just at at our high school, uh, the the officer on campus who did have a firearm did not even go into the building. So we can't always just rely on that good guy mentality. And it's it's also very hard to determine who's a good guy, who's a bad guy in these issues. And that's why we need things like universal background checks across our country to actually look into the background of these individuals. (laughs) 97% of Americans support things like universal background checks while uh, organizations like the NRA stand against them. So we, we just have to realize that these things can actually help people and save lives way more than the good guy with a gun.
1: what strategies have you found to be effective when talking to someone who may not agree with you on these issues?
9: All right, I've found that people need to listen to hear rather than listen to respond. A lot of people are so quick to find something to make them upset or differences between you rather than listening to what y'all have in common and listening to the words that they're saying, processing it. Seeing, alright, if I disagree, disagree with them respectfully, be respectful to everyone you meet, be cordial. And also if their views are based in hatred, then that's a completely different story. If it's racist, if it's racism, if it's homophobia. But with humans and opinions and disagreements, our country is built off of division, off superiority, inferiority. So feeding into divisionary tactics and finding our differences and being like, well you don't believe in the same thing as me, so you're completely wrong. That's exactly what's wrong with our country and that furthers violence and that furthers our issues and brings us further from creating a change as a whole. We need to be humans, feel, empathize, sympathize. We need to stop being afraid of feelings. And being human and emotions and politicizing things like shootings when really we should be able to feel with one another, feel for one another. And I think that is complete, like the key thing
3: <laughs> uh, just, just, just another thing when, when dealing with people who don't agree with you, I, I very much encourage it. I like it when people don't agree with me. It, it's way too easy of a conversation when someone else agrees with you. Uh, but I, I, we've met so many people on, on this road to change so far. We've met so many individuals. Uh, we, we were in Omaha doing a town hall just like this. And there were several people there who were uh, NRA members, and they were people who were questioning some of the things that we stood for. And uh, while some of them did become loud, obnoxious, disruptive, there, there was one individual who spoke out and actually spoke very, very poised, very refined. And I was speaking to him after because I, I saw him talk to a local newspaper. And he was saying, well, this country, uh, they, they talk about universal background checks, which we already have that in all 50 states. And he, he started going off on all these facts that were just incorrect. So I walked i walked up to him, I spoke to him, I said, actually, we don't have universal background checks. If you think the only problem with it is that you think they already exist, they don't. So you shouldn't have a problem with them then. And he, he started to argue with me. He started to just bigger, disagree, and we went back and forth for some time. But then, at, at the end of it, we exchanged phone numbers, we've still been talking to this day, and we, we found that common ground where we realized we want people to survive in this country. We want kids to be able to grow up. It shouldn't be an achievement for someone to reach the age of 21, but in areas like Chicago, which Kobe can tell you, it, it very much is an achievement. And we, we need to realize that, and we need to actually come together and find those similarities, those commonalities, and break off from there, because we can be divisive all day and all night, but we shouldn't be. We should just look at what actually makes us similar, look at what we can agree on, that we want people to live in this country, that we want people to actually exist and flourish. And if we can actually get there, then we can start to solve this problem unless people will have to die.
0: Yeah. All right, from my friend from Chicago, what's up, Kobe? How is, the, how is the funding and quality of, public, of the public school system in Chicago in correlation to gun violence?
4: So, before I talk about that, I'm putting to a number into y'all here. Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, put $95 million into a new police academy. But Chicago public schools can't even afford teachers for each grade level in high school. So, um, so when you when you go to school, of course you're going to go to school and have your normal eight classes a day, but then you look forward to after school activities such as sports, extracurricular, extracurricular drama, um, and other different things. But when you don't have that, where do you go? You hang around on the streets, you get yourself into bad things, and boom. You, you're the next stat to gun violence. So. Not like the funding in schools plays a huge role in um, funding. I think I said that, I'm sorry. Funding in schools plays a huge role in gun violence in Chicago because we can't even have teachers for, like, I, I share teachers with seniors. I shouldn't have to do that. We shouldn't be in the same classroom as seniors. Like, and it's, it's just terrible how the focus is different, um, is like, The priorities are not set straight up in Chicago.
1: So also for Chicago, um, people think that all gun violence in Chicago is due to gangs, yet they have never visited your neighborhood. What have you found to be true in your community?
4: Gang violence, it isn't always the the main cause for gun violence. There's many people that I know that has been shot and killed just by walking down the street.
3: It's not all about being in the game. I have to fear my life walking to school, going to school, coming home late from football practice,
4: worrying about getting shot. That's crazy. I feel more safe being on a tour with the March for Our Lives than being in Chicago because I'm not in the game, but I can still be shot and killed, and that's completely terrible. has straight gun laws, yet Chicago is still a hub for gun violence. Why is that? That's because Indiana and Iowa does not have their priorities straight. <laughs> Chicago and Illinois is not an island United States of America, but you can easily go to Indiana and purchase a gun and take it back to Chicago. You can purchase it, I mean, you can purchase it legally and Indiana will take it back to Chicago and sell it for double the money and illegally. And also, I don't know if you guys have, like, divvy bikes or public bikes for anybody to rent out. In Indiana, it's just as easy to buy a gun as it is to rent a public bike to ride around the city. Not a gun, but a, well, it's a gun, but an AR-15. So, um, yes, Illinois does have the strictest laws, but it's not an island.
0: local friends what are your personal experiences with
7: gun violence Uh, so um, 38 years ago uh, my mom took a gun that my grandfather had given to her for self defense Uh, she wrote a note uh, got in her car and pulled over on the side of the freeway and she sat in that car with nothing but the gun and depression lying to her making her believe that my world would be better off without her. 38 years ago, my mom shot and killed herself. Uh, In in Wisconsin, more than uh, 70% of all of gun deaths are gun suicides, just like my mom. And it's the uh, one segment of gun violence that dominates all segments in total, but the one segment that does not get the kind of attention that the other segments do, which is why I'm glad that these young folks, these Parkland students, and this, this, uh, uh, this tour, is including not just communities of color, but other segments of gun violence. When you think about how, how frequently gun suicides occur, it's every 25 minutes someone shoots and, kills, uh, shoots and kills himself, just like my mom. But how often do you hear people talking about it? How often do we hear legislators telling you that after every shooting, it's mental health? Here in Wisconsin, you can get a gun the same day, but go try to get your first mental health care appointment and see how long that takes you.
6: I lost my aunt. Um, her husband shot and killed her, then turned the gun to the
5: um, uh, Once again, my name is Bria, and can I just get a show of hands of who's all a resident of Milwaukee? Awesome. Um, who's all a resident of Northside Milwaukee? <coughs> awesome. Your hand went up super fast. Hey, what's up? Um, <laughs> So going off of you, Kobe, your story hit me really hard because I grew up on the north side of Milwaukee, in Hokea Street, and they would say that's one of the the highest rates or like with um, police brutality and gun violence and where you don't want to raise a black male and or have a black family or black children at all in that area, right? And um, some experiences might be, you know, you're playing with your friends outside and then one day one of your friends aren't there and you're like, hey, where's he at? He got shot. Oh, who did he get shot by? we don't know. So it's like little stories like that that shows that guns were always a constant in my childhood, and my neighborhood is so conditioned that like, if I don't have a gun, then I might be crazy, you know? And um, I guess, Me being so an advocate for gun reform because I shouldn't have to go outside of my neighborhood and just walk around and think that I'm going to get shot because that's not a feeling that a child should think or should have, especially someone who should be focusing on school, should be focusing on prom, focusing on friends. But when you have that constant reminder that guns are a conditioned normality and reality for you because of the color of your skin and your your area of your zip code. That's what really hinders you from reaching success and being the best that you can be, the individual that you want to be. uh, uh, I feel that this movement that the Parkland students have started, I know it was based off of the most horrendous tragedy, and I'm so sorry, but it has fueled and pushed the movement here in Milwaukee because we have been fighting for gun reform for years, for a long time. And we haven't got the, the voice or the platform, youth haven't, or even adults haven't had the platform to speak about the injustices, inequities that guns have in our neighborhoods. And because of this movement being so widespread and so powerful, we're able to sit here at this panel and give the voice to those who were wrongly silenced. Yeah.
2: my uh, experiences with gun violence uh, were very recent. A few uh, months ago, um, middle of the night, whole family was sleeping, a bullet had struck the front of our house. Uh, police came over and they made sure that no one was hurt and anything was wrong. Um, but that was, uh, that was a few months ago and it just happens because the neighborhood that I live in, there's constantly gunshots, there's, there, there's, there's things happening and the police take forever to come. And even before that, Um, I was outside with my family. Our neighbors were outside with their family. Uh, A man shot his gun into the air multiple times and uh, shot out my neighbor's window and their daughter was right by that car playing outside. Two weeks ago I was walking to the store. Gunshots. A man runs across the street. The gunman runs across the street into his car and and drives off. It's, It's a constant in my life in a way that it, 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 it happens, not personally, but it, it's it's the background. I have to go outside and I wonder what I'm gonna hear or see and how I have to carry myself. I cannot walk around and, and, and just be marley. I have to walk around and be careful and be quiet and be the most respectful and be as poised and as perfect as I can be because I feel that one mistake in a store or walking down the street or it's too late, my mom constantly makes sure that I'm, that I'm home on time or that I'm at the right place where I'm supposed to or answering my phone because my mom knows more than anything that, that that any mistake that I make could be the end of my life because of what she's experienced in her life due to suicides from her family members or murder or Anything that's happened, she, she knows that and that and that that could be me that her son could be the next victim of a shooting just for walking around just for being a teenager walking doing anything hanging out with friends that any mistake could be the end of your life or that should not be the case
1: mm-hmm. Thank you. I will- also for the local students, um, what have been your biggest obstacles to create change in your community?
8: No? Um. <sighs> that's a good question. Um. I think one of the hardest things that one of the biggest obstacles we've had to deal with is outreach. I think sort of making sure that everyone is on the same page about what's going on, you know, sort of going back to the previous question about what are some of the misconceptions of the movement, you know, a lot of people hear the term March for Our Lives and I say, oh, you want to take my guns away, and that's just not true, you know, and I think one of the other biggest obstacles is one, making sure everyone's on the same page of those people who support you are mobilized, but also people who are mobilized against you. You sort of have to sort of figure out how to have a safe and genuine discussion with those people, so you're not just constantly having rallies where there's a 100 people in the crowd who agree with you. That's great, but you have to also go out and discuss and rally with, it not necessarily with, but with the people who disagree with you because that's where change needs to happen. It's not change, it's, change is gonna come necessarily in a room with a bunch of people who already agree with you or a bunch of politicians that agree with you. It needs to come from the people who disagree with you. And you might not necessarily be able to change their minds the whole time, but you need to sort of find that common ground and you need to find the in-between of this is where we can agree and this is where change is actually going to happen in the end. And I think that's been sort of the biggest obstacle that i faced, or like we faced with organizing is sort of finding the middle ground of, well, I mean, we're all pushing to save lives, but you need to understand that and we need to have a discussion about that.
7: So I live in uh, the most conservative county in Wisconsin, in Waukesha, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you would, you would think uh, that uh, at least that there might be some decent folks out there that would want to listen to uh, a conversation about gun violence prevention, but you'd be surprised at how many death threats I've gotten. You'd be surprised at how frequently the Waukesha County Sheriff's Department has to patrol my house just to make sure my family is safe. I can't own a gun because I've attempted suicide three times in my life, and, I, and then there's no way I should be allowed near a gun, so I, I don't do that, but I make sure the police know uh, that, that I'm getting this kind of harassment. And the young folks that, uh, that are out in Waukesha, uh, I don't know where Kelly is, but they, they are doing an amazing job despite the kind of harassment that we get in that area. But the other thing that goes along with that, these are folks that should be listening. Because when I talk about gun suicides that happen every 25 minutes, it's not a lot of folks in Milwaukee that are shooting and killing themselves. It is folks out in Waukesha. It's rural white men who are shooting and killing themselves. But they automatically think, because we're talking about gun violence prevention, like like she said, that we want to take their guns from them. And that's not the case. And it's unfortunate that we have a, a, a gun lobby that has perverted this conversation and make it seem like it is a zero sum game. This is not about trying to take your guns from you. This is about keeping our community safe and literally saving people's lives.
6: Um, I would also add on that a lot of adults don't listen to kids, so I'm glad to see a lot of adults here. Um, most of the backlash that I've gotten has been from adults. It's interesting because most of those are on, like, Facebook, and are like, oh, go eat Tide Pods, and it's just like, <laughs> just listen. Like, you like you can hear, but you're not listening. Like, all of us here, we're speaking from trauma, we're speaking from our fear, so to listen to us.
5: I just wanted to piggyback off of you really quick about... Um, Older generations and younger generations, and like the relationship that we do have. Um, we're not that young, you're not that old, and that um, we're still fighting for the same cause and the same platform, the same movement. And I like to remind myself and the other people who are part of this at our youth that we are the next generation. Let that sink in. We're voting right now in our present for our future. We're voting for what we want so we can be taken care of in the future. that I've had just being an advocate about human rights, like gun reform is a human right. But um, it's just trying, Milwaukee is one of the most segregated cities in the nation. And being able to live in a city where you can see the segregation with your own eyes, in my short 17 years of life, it's crazy to want to reach out to these people, to these human beings, and say that your vote, your voice matters, but they don't believe it themselves. So when you're talking to someone who doesn't want to take that step into re- achieving like their own right and being able to use their voice for something good and beneficial, it's hard and it's so sad to see that they don't want to do that because they don't believe it themselves. And um, going around to different organizations and talking to different people, I've noticed more and more that it's with the older generations because they settle for less and they know that um, they can't reach what they want because they think it's too late. But it's never too late to make a change, it's never too late to reform injustices and policies because if we all do it together, we're going to get quicker.
0: My next question. As of the 2015 census, there were approximately 147-500,000 young people from the ages of 18-29. through 29. The voter turnout among registered voters in 2014 was, oh, this is a big number, 254,892 in Wyoming District 4. The vote differential was 110,555. So, young people can undoubtedly determine the outcome of this district if they turn out and vote. How are you planning to inspire the youth in your community to vote for morally, justly, Oh, Wisconsin! I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I heard he was whispering. He's like, "Yeah, Wisconsin. This is Wisconsin." I'm just like, "Yeah, I know. know, 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 I'm reading this. I don't. But I'm so sorry."
3: State abbreviations, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Two letters. All right.
0: After this, you guys can all just you know add you know say little
6: things just. Um, I think doing things like this, having open dialogue, is what is super duper important, especially with young people. I think a reason why a lot of young people don't go out and vote is because they think no one represents them. But by doing this, we're showing that you know, we're not alone in our fight to end gun violence. Um, so just continue having open dialogue, I think, is the most important thing for people to realize that. There is someone that represents you. You just have to go out and support them and go out and vote. So,
8: yeah. I think another thing that's really important when it comes to inspiring young people to vote is accessibility to the ballot box and making it super, super accessible <laughs> to them actually be able to get there and go Yeah, which is something I think, you know, is really cool about, like, the shirts, like you can just scan the shirt and register to vote because registering to vote is a really weird and complicated and hard wow. system and it shouldn't be, you know, like you shouldn't have to wait hours to be able to vote in certain polling places, you know, so I think getting, it's part of inspiring young people to vote is coming to them and saying like voting, or like setting up voter registration booths and making it super, like coming to their schools, inspiring them at their schools, making it, making, it accessible for them to actually be able to register to vote so that they can enact that change in November is one of the easiest things you can do to actually get them out there and voting in the first place. Yeah, I,
2: uh, yeah I, I, that's definitely the most important thing is letting the youth know that you have an important hand in the the development of our country for, for who you're electing. I know so many people that don't care about politics or what's happening or for when they turn eighteen that they that they don't care to vote or it doesn't matter because they think that it's just one vote, you know, it's just one person. It doesn't matter, it's not gonna do anything. But it does matter and and giving people the resources to be educated to make informed choices on who they want for whatever, whether it's a local thing or if it's presidential, you know, that you do matter for that. You are, that, that, and you should also like give them reinforcement for the change that they want. If something's not right and they want to fight for that change, they should be allowed to. And yeah, for accessibility in schools for, for it to be an easy process for them to say what they want to say with their vote and be, to be able to say it strongly and confidently. Not to be shut down or shunned for their opinions or, or what they want. You know, that I think that's how we gotta do it.
7: So one of the uh, more important things that I hope young people understand is that if you aren't active and engaged and using your voice and your vote, someone else is gonna go do it for you and when you look at what these young folks are doing right now, the young folks on this stage, this, this, uh, this tour, what they're trying to do is wake young folks up to let them understand that you have an immense amount of power and it's your job to, to exercise that power because there are people right now who literally don't care about the people on this stage, they, especially those of us who are black and brown. They don't care about us and they're doing everything they can to make sure we don't vote. There are, there are people that have fought, bled, and died for our right to vote. To me, it's a moral imperative to go do that. But you have a group of folks who don't want us to exercise that franchise, and it's good that we have this issue now to galvanize around, that young folks are coming around to seeing that not only do we have a part to play in, in the national conversation, but on this issue, it's going to be these young folks, as they all would like to say, the young people are going to win. and I am proud to be able to be there and watch it.
0: And now i open up um, questions to the group. The first question, everyone on the stage has different experience, experiences regarding gun violence. So how do you propose we create change together?
3: So, uh, how to create change together. Uh, First off, rooms like this, uh, really helpful with all of this. We have people from all over, from the Wisconsin area, from Chicago, from Parkland. Uh, But most of our leaders believe that rooms like this shouldn't and can't exist. They believe that we aren't able to actually talk about these issues because for so long they haven't been able to talk about these issues. Well, every day we prove them wrong, and that makes me happy, but <laughs> when, when we talk about actually making the change together, what we have to do is work on it and follow through. For every small victory we make, I mean, just, just over the past couple of months, there have been uh, some, something around 50 plus uh, new legislation in regards to uh, gun violence prevention in over 20 states. That's in four months from everything that we've been doing here ever since the shooting in done Douglas, And that, that has saved countless lives all across this country. And we're nowhere near stopping. So if, if, we are, if we're able to... If, 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 we're, if we're able to actually work on this together, if we continue to have these conversations, because at, at the end of the day, when, when we leave, when we go on to the next city, when we go back home, uh, if we stop talking about it and you stop talking about it, we, we have failed you and you have failed us. If we're able to keep this conversation going, if we're able to actually continue to speak about this long after a night like this, and we're actually breaking down the solutions together to find that compromise that doesn't take away a single person's rights, but also allows for public safety and allows for people to live out their days in peace and harmony and life, liberty, pursue happiness, all that, if, if we're able to actually find that together, then we'll actually be able to live out our lives. And uh, one, one, one thing that I've realized that uh, throughout all this is uh, the, the, stig- the stigma around uh, activism as a whole. Just just, just the term activist. You, you think it's a whole separate thing from, from a daily life. You think it really shakes things up, which for some people it does. I mean, we're, we're traveling across the whole country right now. But uh, yeah, how, how many here, just, just a show of hands, have, have a job? How, how many here are employed? Good. Good job, guys. Uh, so, um, uh, what, what, One thing that you can do just... You, you don't have to quit your job and start traveling the country with us all all you have to do is keep talking about this sit sit down with a coworker or speak speak to your boss speak to I, don't offend your boss but just speak <laughs> speak to speak to the people around you speak to the people that you that you encounter in your daily lives and just try to work out these solutions find find groups find just any way that we can actually come together and solve these problems would be a great help to not, not only us here on stage, but to Americans everywhere. So, thank you.
0: Does no one have anything else to add? I knew someone had to say something. Hey
5: again. Um, I just want to say, that each and every person sitting in a seat in this room has a voice. And whether you're 65 or six, you can use that voice because you're given the privilege to have a freedom of expression. And with that, I, we're all in a room together because we all have, I, I mean, we're, we're not all like-minded individuals. If there are some who are, have a different uh, opinion. That's so great because they were able to come here and sit and listen to what all of us have to say and understand an insight and perspective. But we're all here, we're sitting here for the same goal and for the same ending because we have our plate and we're ready to eat it. And with on our plate, oh, here, sorry. On that plate, we wanna eat because we want to achieve what we're fighting for. And 50 years ago, um, Val Phillips led the Fair Housing Law and fought for justices because we are not a country that just sits and lets other people speak for us. Because we're sitting here right now and we're speaking for ourselves. And if you're able to speak for yourself, then you'll get what you want to eat.
7: Um, I guess one thing that is important that I, I am begging all of you to do is go vote on the issue of gun violence prevention itself. Go ask your legislator, where do you stand on this issue? If she or he doesn't give you a good answer, then they don't get your voice, your vote, or your money. Make sure you are voting on gun violence prevention.
2: Yeah, just I, I just want to say something short. Sure, everyone in this room, and, and beyond everyone that you know, has a right to life. And that is what we're all fighting for every day. And and to get there is to keep having conversations like this and keep the ball rolling because we all want to live to be from six to 65 and beyond, and to be happy and safe while doing it.
4: I just want to say for the people who can in the local area, don't be a pass like, don't be passive for your local um, gun vi- like, violence prevention programs. Like if they need money, try to donate as much as possible and help them. Don't be like the people in Chicago. Help them <laughs> out so they can stop the violence in your community.
1: support gun violence prevention efforts in other areas, like Chicago? Toby, you want to say it
4: again? For the people in the back! No, but, um, like, don't be passive for your local um, violence prevention programs. If you know, like, they need the money or if they're struggling, help them out. Even if it's not money, like, go and donate your time so you can help them reach the next level. Like, help them so they can be the next people, like, so they can be the people to help you survive and help them survive, and the people after us survive.
0: Oh, you can go. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about me.
8: (laughs) Um, I think another really important thing is just, like, having a conversation. And I know that sounds so easy and simple, but, like, if your uncle makes a really offensive comment at Thanksgiving, call him out for it, right? Like it's not just it's not just going to your representative's offices and being like I'm upset with you. It's the people next to you sometimes who disagree with you or who do not or who are supporting people who you disagree with, right? So it's sort of having those personal conversations. It's not always People who disagree with you are not always just internet trolls. It can right, It can be the your neighbor next door, the people who live across the street with you. So continuing to having that conversation with other people and continuing to have a conversation and make your voice heard in the most literal way is one of the best ways that you can continue this work on a more localized level. It doesn't necessarily need to be ranting on Facebook all of the time. It can just be saying, hey, like that's not cool. Like that's not actually what March for Our Lives is trying to do. You know, it's just like the little, little things that all add up in the end
6: I just want to add that we do have a gun problem here in Milwaukee Um, 85% of the homicides last year were uh, done by a gun so we have to realize that we have a gun problem here in Milwaukee and if you're looking for an organization to donate to we have WAVE yeah. Um, I'm
3: an intern for Lake, so I want to donate for LAPE so, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, just really quick, I know we haven't touched on it too much tonight, but uh, for, for those of you who have seen uh, this playing out over the past couple of months and you've seen uh, all the news coverage of it, uh, very much uh, the opposition likes to place this as a political fight. As it is a, it is a one-sided argument in which it, it, it's not so much that we are fighting on behalf of any political party. We are simply fighting on behalf of humanity and people's lives, the lives of Americans. And we need to realize that th- this is a nonpartisan effort that needs bipartisan solutions. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat. It doesn't matter if you're Republican. You, you just need to realize that people in this country deserve to live. live. No, you're
5: fine. You're fine. Um, but I kind of wanted to touch briefly on what you said, Tatiana, about uh, Milwaukee, and how gun violence and gun reformation kind of goes hand-in-hand with like our school boards, with the school-to-prison pipeline, and how some increments of what a prison might look like is being incorporated within our schools. Some, If you're not from Milwaukee, but some Milwaukee students walk into their schools, and they are greeted by uh, metal detectors, and most of the money is being funded to um, get armed guards. Um, and instead of having extracurriculars like you say saying Kobe about well, um, no, like after schools or art programs, or maybe a guidance counselor or a therapist. So when you are walking to a school and you see a metal detector and you have clear backpacks, what does that tell a student? when they graduate that they're going to they're, their, their future is already predicted for them that they're going to end up incarcerated? So just with like, the, the gun violence, it shows that we are um, fighting for these issues, but we need to stop supporting or giving money to things that kind of make our uh, residents feel as if they're the wrong, that like they're the perpetrator and not the victim.
7: Mm-hmm. My mom's name was Joyce. Do any of you know if she was a Republican or Democrat? Neither do I. the bullet that exploded her head didn't care either. The bullet that shot and killed uh, 10 year old Sierra Guyton didn't care if she would grow up to be a Republican or Democrat. The bullet literally does not care. It is the one thing that we can think of that is apolitical. You don't have to be a Republican or Democrat, a man or woman, black or white, Hispanic or otherwise, to be shot and killed. Your zip code doesn't shield you from gun violence. And it's high time that every single one of us Accepts that reality and does everything we absolutely can to make sure that none of you have to live our nightmare.
0: All right, let me make sure I do this right this time. Many of Wisconsin representatives have received A ratings from the National Rifle Association. (laughs) Boo! Including the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, Ron Johnson. <laughs> so you guys call him quickly. And your governor, Scott Walker.
8: <laughs> I
0: knew I would like to How does the NRA get how does the NRA get in the way of passing common sense gun legislation? Money. Wait, wait, can I hear that? Wait. Alright, let's hear from our panelists. Money,
5: baby, baby. Okay. but. Either. Just, just with the NRA blocking the youth, what does that seem like that happened in our history where we're fighting for a movement, but there's people that are getting a profit that are blocking the change. Nobody can say that. Slavery. Slavery. Thank, thank you. And with that, like I think you were saying this earlier, how um, if we we don't continue the conversation, it's going to be forgotten. And back in the day, they didn't they continue the conversation so it wouldn't be forgotten because they knew that they had this vision. And they wanted to get over the people that were fighting to keep slavery, to keep these human beings as profit because it gave them an extra buck in their pocket. But we're not profit. All of us sitting here are not profit. We, our lives shouldn't be in reverse of like money. So I feel like the NRA is just an organization that sees us as dollar signs. And maybe in like the heavily um, gun-stricken areas that I live in and that Tatiana lives in and everyone at this local um, panel lives in, we're dollar signs to them. And when you wake up each day and you like, my life is a dollar sign, that doesn't feel good. I wanna be somebody. I don't wanna be a prophet. I don't wanna to have to be shot. I mean, no one wants that. But um, with, with that and getting in the way, just like slavery, we have to be smarter, we have to be faster, and we have to be together. Cause we can't do this alone. I know Parkland students can't do it alone. That's why we're all sitting here together because unity is what gets us serenity.
3: To, to, to everybody who uh, booed our friend Paul earlier, um, I'd, 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 like, I'd like to say that I'd like to thank him first off because uh, after a protest that I was a part of, I lost most of the possessions I was holding onto that day, especially a constitution that I always kept in my pocket that the ACLU gave me. Uh, and I replaced it in his Janesville office the other day. Uh, now, to, just a quick note: this Constitution was on the bottom bottom shelf of his cabinet that I took from his office. Uh, I I don't know why a man who respects it so much would keep it so low, but that's besides the point. Uh, what What I do know is that uh, Paul Paul Ryan has received, I believe, uh, somewhere around a hundred thousand from the National Rifle Association. And and, and a, num- a number like that isn't a donation, that's a bribe. Yeah. Uh, my, my brother says it a lot. He's back there. I love the guy. Look at him. <laughs> <Here>. <laughs> Hi, man. <Matt>. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, when, when you're giving so much money to these, to these politicians, it, it's no longer just a favor. It's no longer to support them. It's to get something out of them. And you can see that in the case that 97% of Americans support universal background checks, yet Paul Ryan won't allow a vote on universal background checks. He, he is caring more about the, the money in his pocket than his own constituents and the people of this country. And you can see that in the way that the National Rifle Association systematically gives out their donations, gives out their money, as well as just strikes fear in the hearts of these politicians. Because one thing that politicians like to do is keep their jobs and it's really hard to keep your job when you, you have all these people calling you and yelling at you for trying to pass something so simple that would save people's lives but you need to look at it, you need to look closely as they consistently say that most of these policies, most of the policies that we push out, that we talk about, they support them in a way. They support them in a sense that they say that yes these will save lives but We cannot fight for these because they will take away the rights of our various guns. And you can see the priorities of these people as it is mostly the leadership of the NRA talking about this. As you can see, uh, people like Ted Nugent, who called uh, the people of Parkland, he said that they are soulless. Not not the students, not the people from March for Our Lives, not the people speaking out. Just my entire town was demonized by a... (laughs) a high-ranking member of the National Rifle Association, then you look at another person who they made their president recently, Oliver North. Now, if he, if that name rings a bell, it's because he sold weapons to terrorists. Now, that I mean, Cameron said this in the past, but that, that, that's just bad, bad PR. That, that just, you, you don't want a guy who's been known to sell these weapons to bad people to give them... He, he literally armed the bad guys with guns. I mean... Yeah. You, you can see how they block these things, like common sense gun legislation, as, as they don't really care about you, they don't really care about people in this country, and, and they really just falsify this with ideals of patriotism, which I, I can tell you pretty much in this room, as I've seen, we're, we're pre- pretty much patriotic, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. like I love this country. Hide behind the eyes of something like that, like patriotism, like feeling like you're a bigger man if you have these weapons. When, when they're hiding behind these things, they're really just creating a false facade, a false layer of our culture that is really really just a byproduct of all, all these violent natures, and you, you just need to realize that we can put an end to this. We can stop all these things. Because when you look at all these statistics, like where in the city of Chicago, over 147 children were shot and killed that's under the age of 21 just this past year now that's a statistic but that doesn't mean it's static that doesn't mean that these things are unchangeable, immovable we can move it together we can come together to move these numbers to make it better for all of us. So I I hope you can take that in today, thank you. So the question was about
7: how do we deal in Wisconsin with these A-rated NRA politicians? Well, I, in 2016, I ran for Congress against one of those A-rated NRA politicians, and I am proud of the F that I earned from the NRA. <laughs> <laughs> it is the only F I'm proud to have gotten. So probably, I probably wasn't the only one I ever got, them. But the, the thing about this is when the NRA gives all this money to a politician, uh, it is a bribe. What they're doing is they're buying their complicity and their silence. So when we, when we, when we know that we have 97% of Americans nationwide that support universal background checks, more than 80% in Wisconsin that supported, it, it is those politicians who have been paid to do nothing. They, they actually probably enjoy us arguing and fighting because it kind of takes some of that, the, the, the stress off of them. They want us to be at each other's throats. They want us to forget that this issue impacts us every single day. They want you to forget my mom's name was Joyce. They want you to forget that every 25 minutes someone shoots and kills themselves every single day. And the way they can forget is because they keep getting that money. They're not worried about you. They're not worried about keeping your community safe. They are only worried about a primary and an NRA check. That's it.